Welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the show where we empower you with the tools to optimize your health, happiness and longevity. Peter Barnes joins me today to do a roundup of the Tour de France Femme avec Zwift. Peter has written for loads of publications about racing, both men and women's, but I came to know him through his amazing work on the Giro Donne and the Serratesa Challenge by La Vuelta. He has also interviewed most of the big hitters in women's cycling. So Peter has the inside scoop and he was able to fill in some of the gaps for me about the eight days of wonderful racing that we had. So let's cue that intro. You know, other teams were happy to do the work and they were just letting them and fair play. Like if they can get away with not doing the work, why not? You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame them for it. I blame the other teams for not being tactically aware. The only thing I didn't like was the lack of coverage early on. You know, we were only getting a couple of hours at the end and we're so used to just seeing every single kilometre in the men's. And it's like, I want to see that for the women. Paris-Roubaix didn't quite pay as much for women. And they were like, well, we'll just pay extra too. If our women get a win, we're going to bump up their prize money ourselves. You know, a team shouldn't have to do that, but it's good that a team is doing it. Peter, welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's fantastic to have you on. And we're all, I mean, it's such a come down, isn't it, after the Tour de France Femme avec Swift. How are you coping? Yeah, it's kind of, it's been crazy because we obviously we had the Girodonna and we had the, the Tour de France on, if you can call it that, like the men's race. And then you're like, oh, we'll keep it going. It's uh, the Tour de France Femme. <laughs> And then, yeah, now it's like, now what do we do? Uh, you know, it's just like we're kind of floating in the void for a bit. I know. Well, thankfully, we have the Worlds coming up in a couple of weeks. It's kind of keeping our interest a little bit peaked and there is news. So let me just go back to the start. So I will put my hands up. I wasn't a huge women's cycling follower. Last year, I dipped in and out of the Tour de France Femme. You know, I kind of got to know some of the riders. I didn't really follow it. But obviously this year I did the daily podcast. So I got to, I feel, know and understand the type of racing that the women do. But even following the women's racing right through, as you said, the Giro, everything like that. And of course, even following it since the Tour last year. What do you think are the big changes that you've seen in women's cycling over the last even year, two years, or since you've been following it? Yeah, it's kind of, it's hard to know what's changed because it's kind of been evolution rather than revolution at this point. Um, mm. And a lot of people are saying, like, we can't go too quick uh, and move too fast. You know, I'd like to see more being done. Obviously, Flanders Classic, they're doing tons of good stuff in terms of prize money and equality there. Likewise, what's now the Lidl Trek team are doing quite a lot on that. Like, I think, Paris-Roubaix didn't quite pay as much for women. And they were like, well, we'll just pay extra too. If our women get a win, we're going to bump up their prize money ourselves. You know, a team shouldn't have to do that, but it's good that a team is doing it. Um, that they're willing to do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And also like things around maternity are really changing. We've seen with Ellen Van Dijk and Ellen and Barker and other people like that, where riders are actually getting a maternity normally it was a choice between career or family and now why not both 
Uh, I think that's really positive. It is a workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing it trickle into the men's. You know, it's becoming more normalised now. One of the huge stars, White Van Aert, who dipped out early from the tour to be at the birth of his second child, you know. So it is becoming more, you know, acceptable on both sides of it for the guys and the women. Yeah, it's it's great to see that. He did get a, a good bit of flack about it. And, you know, it is, it's upsetting to kind of think that those attitudes are still there. But uh, yeah, I think it's when we see the stars doing this, it does trickle down, uh, I think, to all of the areas within sport. It's so, so cool to see. Then you kind of mentioned the the pay parity. I saw a really terrifying statistic. Now, I'm not sure if it's right, Peter, but 20% of the female peloton still have to hold down full-time jobs and, you know, supplement their wages or small wages that they get from teams, if any. And I know a lot of girls who actually join teams and they're not being paid at all. That's a phenomenon that seems, you know, very widely accepted within the sport. I mean, how do we even move on from that? 20%, that's a lot of people. They're the girls who are, they're not the stars, they're not the Kopeckis, they're not the Demis, but they're still the girls putting in the slog day in, day out and probably being these super domestiques at the moment and trying to make it. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah, and I think I'd love there to be a situation where people don't need that to happen. You know, like, how do we get there? I honestly don't know, like, Obviously, the the Women's World Tour gives a good framework. I just think the more racing there can be, then the more riders are needed and therefore, you know, I think, yeah, work on having a minimum wage and what is required for, you know, just a women's team to be given UCI status or World Tour status. (laughs) Yeah, but as with anything, these these solutions aren't easy. And yeah, I really sympathise with the riders who... uh, having to make those tough choices. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, we need sponsors. We need people watching it. We need people promoting the sport, even in their own tiny ways, like retweeting, you know, female cycling, getting to know the riders, following them and supporting the sponsors. I did a uh, a section in my Tour de France, Femme, my daily podcast, where I kind of outlined who the sponsors were. I mean, because we, it's so bizarre, isn't it? We call the teams the names of the sponsors and none of us really know who are these people at all. So we need to like support them. I know, okay, I haven't, haven't got a house at the moment, we're renting. But when I do, I'm 100% going to buy a Bora oven. <laughs> or a <Yeah>. Bora <laughs> a Bora hub <laughs> yeah and then you spot it everywhere you go to like a hotel and just be like oh yeah that's that's a hands grower shower or something ridiculous yes. it's like oh okay it just follows you around um, <laughs> but then it shows the power of branding yeah, absolutely. And it is getting more powerful when we're watching the women's racing. And look, it's it was an incredible eight days. So let's move on to have a chat about the actual race. Let's start off with SD Works or SD Never Works, as I call them. What did you make of this super team? They, they turned out to be in the end. Yeah, it's incredible. If you look at their lineup as well, like everyone's either a current or former national world champion like or you know Demi's the the leader of a women's world tour you got Kopecky who's multiple no uh bash uh, I can't get my words out sorry multiple <laughs> okay. Belgian national champion I tried to say those words and 
altogether. Um, <laughs> you've got Christine Majerus, who's just got like a subscription to the Luxembourg jersey. Um, she's never giving that up until she retires, I think. Elena Cicchini is a former Italian champion. Lorena Vivas is European champion. I think of all of them, Misha is the only one who's not a national champion of some level. Um, yeah, we didn't really get to see the SD Works jersey. It's just the SD Works national champs jerseys in the whole palette. Yeah. You're not actually looking out for the SD Works colours. <laughs> yeah, and like clearly they're a super team. They're so stacked, like... Misha could be a, a legit star on any other team, but on that team, she's a super dom. And, you know, it's just how it works. You know, I was hearing from her how she was getting on and like all their plans and just because admittedly, sometimes it seemed they were riding a bit without a plan. And, you know, other teams were happy to do the work and they were just letting them and fair play. Like, if they can get away with not doing the work, why not? You know, <laughs> I don't. I don't blame them for it. I blame the other teams for not being tactically aware and for for you know doing the work on their behalf. When you mentioned that, it's actually quite interesting. DSM Firmenich, I think, did a lot of work in a couple of the days. You know, they were like really chasing things down and eventually kind of cajoled SD Works into helping them try close breakaways down. And a very, very interesting quote I saw from Anamik was, uh, it always surprises me that some teams are going to help SD Works for the victory. It's happening during the races, but it makes you think, play the game, but also play the poker. But I don't think teams like DSM Firmenich had a choice. They had to get stuck in at those points and try and close the breakaway down. So... They really, really had to ride, didn't they? No one else is taking up the mantle. Yeah, it's kind of like, if you ride, you've got a 10% chance. If you don't ride, you've got a 0% chance. Well, you're always going to take the 10% chance then. It's just, yeah, I, if I was another team, you know, if I was DSM, I'd be tempted to try and get someone out in a breakaway. It's then, who do you let and who do SD Works let go? Because maybe they chase that down. Because you can't really send Pfeiffer up the road because uh, Pfeiffer Georgie, the British champion, like no one's going to let her go. She won, she won one of the Spring Classics. Yeah, and... she's got crosses on her back. They're following her no matter where she goes. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, who can you send up the road who's got the talent to win but is not going to be chased down? And, you know, we did thankfully see quite a lot of team breakaway wins, which was nice to see where... You know, SD Works didn't quite have the firepower to keep them back, really. We are brought to you today by Athletic Greens AG1. This magical green powder of 75 pristinely sourced vitamins and minerals supports your gut health, immune function, and it helps with energy, recovery, focus, and even anti-aging. These are a few of the many reasons that AG1 has become a staple part of my routine. First thing, every morning into a cold glass of water. AG1 saves me time and money by taking all the guesswork out of what vitamin stack I should be using to help optimize my health. So you can reclaim your health with convenient daily nutrition. It's easy. One scoop in a cup of water every day. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free year's supply of immune-supporting vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash roadman. 
That's athleticgreens.com forward slash roadman to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link and all the details for this offer are in today's show notes. If we think about SDRX for me, it's not even Demi Vollering who ultimately went on to win GC. The person that I think about is Lotte Kapecki. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she was kind of like a wild card coming into the Tour de France. She was invited in a support role, essentially. And then day one completely flipped that on its head when she made that attack over the final climb. Have you followed Kapecki's? Have you followed her career thus far? Do you know much about her? I met her in the airport once in Mallorca and she was an absolute sweetheart. I was like absolute like fangirl. Like I was like, will I ask her for a photo? Will I not ask her a photo? She was absolutely fabulous. But do you know much about Lotte? Apart from obviously she dominates on the national scene. And uh, this year she just seems like an all-rounder, but she would have been very much pigeonholed before. But now look at her. Yeah, it's kind of like... Going into this tour, I would have said, you know, she's great on the track. She's great on cobbles. You know, she's that kind of spring classic rider who can get over the the hard stuff, um, but can also sprint. Um, I know this year has been particularly hard for her, losing a family member. Um, and that's kind of the tragedy in the, the early season. Um, yeah, so Lotte, just for the listeners, she lost her brother, I think, didn't she? As mm. you said, early in the season. And then a couple of days later went on to win Flanders, if I'm if I'm correct. I can't remember this I can't remember which one race of the classics. it was. I, yeah, I think it might have been something like Nokia or something similar. Okay. Um a kind of midweek spring classic race. But yeah, I yeah, I would have said she can get over some of the climbs, but not everything. You know, she's never winning Liege Baston Liege you know, a proper climbers race. She might be there as a domestique, but I wouldn't pick her to win. And I think, yeah, I was a bit shocked when she attacked, but it was kind of perfect tactics because what does the team behind do? Because, you know, if you chase, then you're only bringing Vibas back and she's going to roll you in the sprint. If you don't chase, then you're letting Kapeki win. And you're kind of caught between, you know, just between two seasons, no no good options there but I think that that's good but then teams would have gone well she can't win GC so we'll let her go like push comes to shove Anamique's probably not worried about Lotta ironically you know Mormon Passio isn't going to chase because you know we'll get to Tourmalet we'll see her off in the first couple of kilometres and she's no longer a threat job done didn't go that way though did it (laughs) no what a day in Tourmalet. The one thing that really struck me about Lotte Kapecki is particularly in the overhead shots when the helicopter or the drone or whatever was over the peloton is her size in comparison to the girls. I mean, look, Ashley Mulman Passio is tiny. Cassia Nuadoma is tiny. So it's hard to compare, you know, someone like Lotte to those pure climbers. But she physically is a lot bigger than the girls. And to see her power through the Col de Tourmalet that day. It was just, it was almost emotional. Where does she get that from, you know? She must have some mental reserves, some mental strength and reserves to call on to be able to to do what she did on Tourmalet that day. Yeah, it's like, they always say the, the yellow jersey gives you something extra, but, you know, like, 
how long does that last? I don't know whether it lasts a whole week. That's uh, just looking up quickly while you're talking. Like, Lotta Kopecky's five for eight. So, for a woman, that's reasonably tall. And she's a track rider. She's doing track worlds. So, you know, track riders traditionally are a bit bigger because you have to yeah. be. Like, when people like Brad Wiggins was winning the Tour de France, he wasn't in track shape. Likewise, when he was doing the track, he wasn't in Tour de France shape. It's just how it is. And so it's kind of shocking that she did that. But then she's in the form of her life. She's preparing for this super world that's going to be happening. It kind of, it does make sense. And yeah, it's just incredible to see that she managed that. And, you know, I said it's almost the most unlikely of podiums, you know. Yeah. I'd love to have put money on that, like put a couple of pounds (laughs) on that or a couple of euros on a Capecchi GC podium like people would have laughed at you they would have laughed at you oh yeah (laughs) when when you're speaking about the worlds and Capecchi going into the worlds I know that she's lost her uh, Madison teammate Uh, I think her her teammate I can't remember her name it's Shari Bussoit yes has been basically popped for testing positive for an illegal banned substance sorry not illegal a banned substance so Lotte is not going to be doing the Madison this year at the Worlds, but she's still going, I feel like Lotte is going to absolutely clean up still, you know, at the Worlds. I'll certainly, yeah, 100% be backing her. She really won, I think, a lot of hearts, a lot of minds over the Tour de France this year. Have you any insights over the Worlds or are you, have you been following it very closely? Um, Not too closely, just it's coming up so quick. I'm like, oh, you know, the men's race is on Sunday. Mm. Mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I know she's doing the the elimination and the omnium where, you know, traditionally Belgian riders are better at the bunch races than the, the timed races. So those two suit her down to the ground. If she's not doing the Madison, that's one load off her mind in some ways. You know, it could be a blessing. It could be fire under her belly to prove a point as well. Not that, to be honest, does she have anything to prove anymore? Like, she's that incredible I don't think she doesn't need to win to be assumed to be like a champion rider she is already you can just tell though she's just got that eye the tiger though she's she's just motivated to win you know you can tell by her and you can you can tell that by her because of the way she acted in the yellow jersey she was just fighting for every inch and yeah she's just absolutely wonderful before we move on from SD Works we have to of course talk about Demi Vollering and okay, Demi is an absolutely incredible rider, but she, for me, she just totally faded, you know, as Lotte kind of came to the, the forefront during the first six days of racing. And then, of course, there was this huge, she just came in like a nuclear bomb of the tourmaline. and it was so wonderful to see her. Let's talk about that 20-second fine that she got for following her team car. So can you talk me through that for any of the listeners who missed that or weren't watching or missed my podcast? What happened and what were the consequences of Demi? Mm, Some people say cheating. Some people say doing what riders do. Yeah, it's that sort of grey area. And, And I've been in races before trying to do that as well. But what happened was, you know, she had a mechanical issue. So needed to swap bikes and and get that sorted, and then you know typically the the commissaires allow cars to to get their riders back to the convoy, so the the group of cars that follow a race. Then what riders would normally do is kind of just follow one and then jump, like do a sprint to the next one, 
and then just keep jumping forward and the other teams will help you out you know it's just you help us and if one of our riders needs your help we'll do that to you as well obviously sometimes sometimes the the commissaires will or the judges will decide to to make a barrage which basically drops all the cars back so that you can't just get an easy way or an easier way because it's never easy but you know an easier way back to the bunch um what happened here though was she followed her team car and danny stam driving decided that he's gonna just keep going and keep her on the bumper in demi's position yeah i'd absolutely follow my director like i'm not gonna shift from there if that's a viable option you know in the heat of the moment i'd do the same the problem is you know it gets to a level where the commissaires are like okay you you're taking the mickey a bit here you know like well yeah i didn't want to be so (laughs) so bold but yeah um you know and then they're like okay just just be reasonable and i think there were a couple of dodgy moves from the car and obviously like all the cars are to even be a ds you have to do a driving course to prove that you're good enough to drive in that situation and you know most most ds's are former riders themselves so they know the the bunch kind of dynamics and the fluidity of it and how races tend to happen um we've obviously we've seen in the tour de Polonia where that didn't quite happen um and a couple of cars stacked it um but the, oh, i think it's the ambulance car actually crashed and got worse off but hopefully they know someone who knows a bit of first aid um <laughs> you would hope so <laughs> yeah i think when you look when you're looking in the ds car as well they're doing so much okay the mechanic is usually in the back the ds is driving uh, you know and then there's somebody in the passenger seat but they're watching events unfold on an ipad you know in front of them that they have eurosport on they're talking to the riders they're doing feeds you know it's it's a high stress high stress moment and for the ds uh what's his name danny stam yep for him to be taking those risks overtaking all of the team cars on the right he was hitting the curb he was hitting the ditch he was going into the grass verge and yeah i don't i absolutely don't uh, blame demi i think if i was her of course i'm gonna do what my boss tells me and plus i'm you're in the red you're coming back from mechanic and you're seeing the peloton get further and further away you're gonna do anything that you can to get in and uh, go for it but yeah i do think that danny stam was kind of doing some dangerous driving there my problem was that they gave Demi Vollering a 20-second penalty rather than just either fining her or fining Danny, who at the end of the day was the one doing the dangerous driving and this kind of absurd overtaking. And I really, really thought that it was unfair. I actually got called out online. Somebody told me that I wasn't a fan of cycling if I didn't agree with the 20-second uh, time penalty on Demi because, you know, it was it was dangerous. It was a dangerous act. But, yeah, I just think it wasn't for her to actually bear the brunt of that. Yeah, it's a tricky one because she's, as we said, she's not done anything wrong herself. But if you just punish the DS, then DSs are going to go, I'll take the punishment. I'll get my rider, like, that advantage. It doesn't matter to me. I can pay a fine. Done, you know. And the fines are so paltry as well. But, you know, in comparison, it's really very, very little. It's a token amount, usually. Yeah, it's like, what, pay 50 euros to cheat, basically, Mm. in some, you know, in a cynical worldview of it. 
Yeah, <laughs> you just go, well, that's a business transaction. Great. I get an advantage for 50 euros. Done. You know. True. Problem- that, that is a good point. So it's kind of, yeah, it has to hurt the rider on some level, else every DS would do it. And, you know, better cost done, you know, job done, really. And at least Amy didn't get kicked out like the other rider. Um, she basically took a very long, sticky bottle. Was there a couple kicked out for uh, something similar? I'm not sure. Well, there was Lotta Hentler from Finland who races under the AG Insurance Sudal team. Yeah, she got kicked out for that sticky bottle and and accepting help from a team car for too long I think I know she was really struggling that day and dropped early on she was in the red yeah, yeah. she was I, d- I don't even think she was thinking straight she was dropped uh, got back in dropped got back in like no, she wouldn't no. <laughs> she wouldn't have got through the day anyway but I've been in that situation as well like team cars are happy to help if it's a mechanical if you've just been dropped then they're not going to help you because you, it's just dropped you're not it is your own fault, really, rather than a mechanical. But yeah, she got kicked off and Service Knaven, her DS, also got kicked off the race for that. Again, so she probably would have been out, either out of time or just kicked off. Like She would have jumped into a team car anyway at that stage, so I don't think it, it's too bad for her. But equally, you, you don't want to have a DQ against your name. You'd rather have a... You tried but couldn't finish. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And just going back to the SG Works DS, Danny Sam, he did ultimately get kicked off, but it was it was kind of quite controversial. It, the, you know, all of the commissaries, the referees essentially rolled up to the team hotel, I think a couple of hours later. Uh, Danny Stam apparently, they kicked him off because of his driving was erratic or dangerous, as they called it. But also, apparently he said some inappropriate comments. Now, I trolled trolled online to find these inappropriate comments. Maybe they have been taken down by the time I looked. Did you see any him saying anything? I mean, I think he said it was ridiculous, but did he go any further than that? He said he didn't agree with the, the decision and that to penalise Demi, he thought was... He implied that they were trying to engineer a particular result was essentially the message. I can't remember the exact words, but he was essentially saying it looks like they've got a winner in their heads and I hope they're happy. It is like, I hope they get the right winner, implying that, you know, they're trying to engineer it. And yeah. So there's no freedom of speech in <laughs> in the Tour de France Femme. You can't say what's on your mind or else you get kicked out, which I think is a bit of a shame because I think we need colourful characters in racing. And I think that the men's world tour can be a little bit PR-led and they get to say whatever the PR teams are telling them to say and be very politically correct about everything. I think we need characters, you know, kind of putting it up to the organisers a little bit. So I think it's a shame that that was when I get the dangerous driving thing, but the comments, I don't know. I'm not sure if I fully, fully agree with that. Um, we can't talk about Demi Vollering without talking about the Tourmalet, there's so much to talk about with that stage race. The bit that completely fascinated me was herself and Van Vluten. They get over, I think, the crest of the Col de Aspen. Mm-hmm. And as they're going down, 
neither of those will will ride. Cassia Nyadoma seizes her moment. She is like, carpe diem, let's go, bitches. And she was like, she's a brilliant descender. Anyway, she's a joy to watch. That's what I was saying. You're watching Cassia on one hand and one shot of the camera and she is beautifully descending, taking these gorgeous corners and she's a really joy to watch. Then the camera cuts back to Demi and Meek, and they are basically having a row. In Dutch, over who's gonna who's gonna ride, who's not gonna ride, what's gonna happen. Now, the commentator at the sides at the time said there was no love loss between these two riders anyway, which I didn't know. I mean, obviously there's healthy competition, um, and they're not, you know, no one's gonna want to ride at that moment, particularly Demi, because she has two teammates coming up behind her in the chasing group. What did you make of that? It was just, I mean, the two bikes almost came to a standstill. You could hear the brakes, you could hear the disc brakes squeaking as they as they stopped. It was so surreal in that sense because they were going downhill and braking. Like, unless you're, you know, like me and just scared of descending, like, you don't really do that. Um, but it was kind of interesting. Like, both were backing themselves to to be able to outclimb the other, I guess. I think Demi had the advantage in that sense of the numbers that she could, like, if Annemiek rode, she could just sit on her wheel. She didn't have to do any work because her teammates were coming up. She backed herself that she could catch Cassia. Kind of, yeah, the fact, like, Annemiek had used all her team on the cold Aspen to to set things up. And then once they were done, I, I can't remember whether any of them made it over with that kind of third or what became the third group but yeah there there is a bit of a rivalry there um coming from la vuelta earlier in the year basically um demi had stopped for a nature break and alleged that the movistar team of anamik had attacked at that point the problem being that anamik had planned to attack and you know it, it was always team strategy to go at that point anyway the fact that Demi was choosing to stop was, you know, it it wasn't a good point to stop anyway, you know, if you'd looked at the roadbook. Okay. So it kind of became a, a kind of, you know, well, you didn't respect us for stopping and the others saying, well, you shouldn't have stopped there because there's a dumb place to stop and we were always going to attack there. And, you know, like, yeah, where do you draw that line of respectability? Because you could just go, well, I was planning to stop at the start of a tourmalet for my nature break when attacks are always going to come. So, you know, you can't just play the, oh, I needed a nature break, so you had to stop for me. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that that, that, that had happened in La Vuelta. Yeah, and, so... And I wonder what will the tactics be for the Dutch team then for the world's road race? So I'm assuming these girls are both riding an orange. So what? I wonder how that's going to happen. They're, Van Vluten, even though she's had a very good season, I mean, she didn't have a very good... Tour de France femme. She, I think she said herself that she wasn't feeling great and, you know, she wasn't at, wasn't at her top level, which is such a pity to see considering that she's retiring at the end of this year. But yeah, what will the team dynamic be in Orange in Scotland in a couple of, couple of weeks? I don't know. The thing is, like, the Dutch team have always had this kind of beautiful problem that they've got so many stars that, you know, like, who wins? it's just like any of them could be a contender if they were leading the team and you wouldn't go and i don't even know who's in the dutch team but you know if you look at their olympic team you'd go oh that person could win that you know just any of them just pick a name they could probably win it's going to be very interesting to see 
um, how that all pans out. Very interesting. And maybe a little bit frosty. Maybe a little bit frosty in the team hotel. Yeah, the two but ladies. then I'd, I'd want to be from a different nation and just attack because you might yes. get a, yeah. a situation where neither of them chooses to work and both acts as leader. So if you're in a group of three with those two, just go for it. Worlds are funny as well because you will have... Yes, of course, there's all of these, you know, the dynamics are so different because people are riding with teammates who they love and support and train with and compete with all year from different nationalities. So you're not, you know, there's all of those kind of intermingled dynamics. If someone's in a break and someone needs some help, does their team from a different nation help? It's it's completely fascinating. There's so many layers to it. Even more layers. We don't need more layers when we're watching <laughs> cycling. It's confusing enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then again, on going back to the Termalay, seeing Demi Vollering coming out, like it was almost like movie. It was like feature movie watching the, the, the ladies ride up the top of the Termalay as the mist had come down and the fog and they're just kind of, you know, coming out of this low hanging cloud. And, you know, Demi, she got two minutes in the end. She really did dominate there, didn't she? Yeah. Um, I always knew... Oh. You know, it's easy to say in hindsight, but looking at the the stages, I was like, well, the tourmalade is going to be decisive. It's not going to be a, a matter of these bonus seconds here and there, even that 20 second penalty. I was like, well, ultimately, it's not going to be decisive. The tourmalade is such a, such a huge climb, but yeah, it's going to create a, a big difference. And Anamik will probably attack on the cold dustband because she likes attacking early. So the group's already going to be thinned out. It's going to just be, you know, for some of them, it, you're just going to be groveling to the top all day anyway. And it's just going to be whoever's got the legs wins. Uh, and, you know, it's not about tactics and finesse almost. It's just survival and hope that you've got better legs than anyone else. The one thing about SD Rex, though, is that they had Royser. And I'm sure I've been butchering people's names all uh, the the duration of the race. Royser from SD Works. My God, she is some engine, isn't she? Wow. And it was so yeah. amazing. The work she did on stage seven the, in the mountains was incredible. And the pace that she was setting in order to close the gap for Demi, uh, you know, to the top. Uh, well, she rolled off. She closed the gap to Cassia. Cassia was up front. She kind of closed her down to about eight seconds, mm. brought Demi and Van Vluten kind of to within about eight seconds of Cassia. And as soon as Royster rolled off, the gap just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Like, I don't know, would that be an indication that Van Vluten, Demi and the other kind of, you know, the other riders in the group just couldn't keep the pace up so fast. But the the gap got back out to like 28, 30 seconds then. Yeah, it, it's probably symptomatic of the fact that by the time Royster had done all her work, like only the strongest are there, but then they're all GC leaders. And it's like, well, there's no one to work for you. You know, we haven't got a, a Sepkus doing all the work on the climb, especially because Royce had the time trial. Like, that's one thing to consider as well. It's like, she needs a relatively easy day to be fresher for her objectives. And again, that's one problem SD Works have and somehow manage. Although we have seen in previous years, not always um, the case, and some people end up unhappy. But you've got so many hitters in that team that they all have their own objective and they all want to win a stage. You know, I could actually imagine going into the tour that, you know, there's eight stages and seven riders. They could have had that one rider won every day 
and it be different each time and working out who could take each stage like there was almost one for each of them um with one spare if it didn't work um that must be that's the beauty about sdworks and i know not everybody loves them but they must have some unbelievable communication skills before racing even starts before they sign for another year their contract gets extended to say look you're not always going to be on the podium but we're a winning team and you will get your day in the sun you know and Royster in particular, she knew, yeah, she knew that the TT, she's such a TT specialist. And for me, she was one of the riders of the tour for me because mm. like, there's so many, like obviously Kopecky I love, Cassia and I, Domi, couldn't but absolutely love her. She, she's just such a fantastic descender. She's such a fighter. She's such a brilliant spokesperson for the sport. And I think she does the social media thing quite well, where we kind of get to know Cassiel, mm. prob- well, personally more than Van Vluten or some of the other riders. And, um, you know, there's so many. But for me, Royser, oh my God, every day she was there closing things down, working hard, keeping her leaders sheltered. She is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anyone needs the the prize money bonus for for doing well like she absolutely deserves it i'm glad she got her stage win at the tt and like just blew everyone away even though um the uaa adq team van tried to scupper that plan um i know it didn't cost too much time but it was a bit dangerous driving it i don't know if it was a punishment but it's hard to know what punishment you can give for that because the race was over anyway. You can't kick them off the race anymore because there was a final stage. Probably a fine, if anything. I I must admit, I've not seen anything. I've not particularly looked. But given how they were coming hard on on the uh, team cards for other things earlier in the tour, it would, you know, we want consistency when it comes to rules. You know, I don't mind the decision you make as long as it's consistent across the board, really. Yeah, so for anyone who didn't see it, um, Marlon Royster was doing the time trial of her life and the riders are set off at one minute intervals and as you kind of go up towards the podium where the people are in their lead, it's two minute, two minute intervals. But Marlon, the rider that went off in front of Marlon Royster was a UAE rider. So she would have had one minute on Royster. And Royster, of course, being the TT specialist that she is, she looks so cool on the bike in the TT position. She's got these molded skis and everything is just dialed in. It's just perfection. You, you could put like a, a pint of Guinness on her back and she <laughs> there wouldn't be a drop spilt out of it as she rolls, uh, rolls around in her TT bike. But anyway, she caught up on the rider in front of her the UAE team uh, support car didn't see her, didn't get out of the way and she kind of had to hit the brakes. If it had come down to, you know, less, if she hadn't won so emphatically, it would, of course, been, you know, awful for her. But... Yeah, I think we just kind of forget about it then. She did have to go on the break. She definitely lost seconds, but yeah, she she ultimately was was there in the first place in the podium for the day. And she's she's such a joy to watch on the TT bike. And of course, keeping it on SD Works. I promise you, I'm going to move away from SD Works soon. <laughs> they got first, second, and third on the day on the TT stage. And we have to talk about Lotte Kopecky because she was in fourth going into that stage and we were kind of going in thinking, okay, is she going to get third? Is she going to knock Annemiek van Vluten off third place on the podium? 
and the day. Wow! If you if you can talk us through that feature, if you what your yeah. what you remember of it, yeah, because it's like seven second gap, and you're like, okay, well, Anamique is Olympic time trial champion. You know, she's not she's no mug on it. Like she didn't do well at the worlds because she crashed. Um, I think she had to pull out, um, so didn't get to do the worlds time trial. Um, but you know, she's I'm sure she's former world champion. I'd be surprised if she isn't. Like she knows how to time trial, you know, and with it being around pull, like it's, it's not flat around there, you know, and that climb to the finish seemed almost inexorable at times watching some of the riders. Um, so you're like, well, the course kind of favors Anamik. Yeah. Kopecky's a power rider, but it's kind of, it's a bit more sporting than a, a pure power course. And, yeah, just seeing that seven second gap, I was like, mm, maybe, you know, she's got a chance. But it was very much like she's guaranteed top 10, guaranteed almost top five. Podium would be incredible, but I don't see it. Like, it'll be close. And then that first time gap was like 30 seconds. We're like, oh, okay. It's kind of, it almost stopped being dramatic because it was so, such a chasm by that stage. I don't know whether. Anamique's ill or just you know just run into bad form she did the Vuelta she did the Gira and she's tried to do the Tour de France farm so trying to race all three of them you know that can take it out of you and obviously the Vuelta she didn't win by much I think it's nine seconds or something in the end and Realini and um, Vollering gave her a real working over on the uh, Lagos de Covadonga whereas normally like last year Anamique's winning these races by several minutes and it's so comfortable whereas here like this year it kind of really looked like things were getting upset on the like just in terms of the natural hierarchy that we've come to be used to and I think yeah she is retiring this year it's it's kind of the end of an era and and we've had it before with Mariana Voss being so dominant and and having quite a just so many victories on all sorts of courses and you know cyclocross as well you know she's not this one trick pony you just win sprints or just wins you know hilly punchy semi-classics she she was winning on every terrain and then anime came along and just blew everyone away in stage races and one day races and now Demi is cleaning up. It's on, getting done to her. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 a circle of life almost. Yeah, and it's kind of, you know, last year everything felt quite predictable and this year it kind of feels a little predictable as well. Just someone else's name is going to the top. But we're going to see in a couple of years someone else will be up there. We don't know who yet. Um, and that's the beauty of sport as well. You never know what's happening. You know, I wouldn't wish any ill fortune on anyone, but you know, you might be the recipient of ill fortune and your place atop the top step is in jeopardy again. And yeah, you, everyone's doing their best and it's, it's just amazing to see. It is. And speaking of Marianne Voss, we actually saw Marianne, she abandoned, uh, I think, up the Tourmalet. Mm. This, this, the sprinters had a hard time. I want to just move on to the, the parkour and what you thought of the... The routes that were picked by the organizers this year. Personally, okay, it was very exciting. The eight days, and I love that it's eight days. I know obviously we want to bring the the Tour de France Femme. We want to keep extending it out to kind of come more in line with the men's eventually. 
eight days for me is really cool because there's so much action. There's no transition stages. It's just constant go, go, go. But what did you think of the routes every single day, the stages? I felt like the sprinters missed out. Now, I know the breakaways were getting quite aggressive and as the week went on, their confidences, you know, the team's confidence were building to go for a breakaway and hold it and, you know, trudge on and keep the sprint. The, the sprinters weren't kind of, and the sprint teams weren't really controlling it. But the sprinters had a hard time over that eight days considering, you know, the terrain. Yeah, it's a real interesting one in terms of, of what was going on. Like, it was very backloaded, like all, the two GC days that we're going to be decisive were seven and eight. So that last weekend, you know, like, okay, like it just, to me, it kind of made it a bit of a phony war into that point. Like everyone's just bickering over a couple of seconds, but ultimately it's not going to matter in terms of the sprinters. Yeah. Like I did marked a couple of stages that I thought were dead cert sprint stages. There's a couple that I was like, you know, if they climb well, like that first stage, I was like, Vivas can get over that. We've seen her at Amstel Gold. We know she can do that sort of climb. But then Capecchi attacked. And it was like, well, yeah, okay. You know, you can't legislate for that sometimes. I think, could they have had more chances? You know, they had two good days and stage six was always one that I thought could go either way. Just because it's the one just before a mountain GC day. So any team with yellow isn't really going to chase that. So it's up to the sprint teams, but Rebus went out of the race at that point. So then it's up to you, you know, Charlotte Cool, um, I think Lisa Balsamo, but I think she was she was either out that day or about to be out the next day. She was day. gone that day, yeah. 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 Poor poor Lisa. Track little track didn't really have a good time towards the end of the the tour with injuries and I think Balsamo went out with extreme fatigue and Again, I think that that was, you know, pointed towards how hard the racing was and, you know, the routes and the terrain. And then, mm. of course, uh, uh, Longo Bergini. I think she's going to miss Worlds as well. I've just heard yeah. she has that, uh, she's got like, some kind of a sore wound on her thigh that's just not healing. Yeah. Not what, I had questioned her inclusion in the race. You know, I, I clearly, I don't know better than any rider on their health, but seeing that crash in the Girodonna, I just thought, mm, it seems a bit too soon to do a whole Tour de France firm. But then who else are you going to bring? Because it looks like they're, they're trying to protect Gaia, really. Nee? She did the, the first two Grand Tours. If we impose the sort of men's races onto the women's in terms of what is a Grand Tour or not. But she did those two and like, yeah, we want to, she's still young and she's still learning and we want to protect the little pocket dynamite that she is. So, yeah, it's a case of who do you bring, but they've got such a, a strong team anyway. Like, they could have put anyone in there and had a good chance of stage wins. Um, but yeah, like, that stage didn't really suit the sprinters, and one of the sprinters was in the breakaway anyway, um, in Emma Norsgore. Like, she's incredible at sprinting and could easily win a bunch kick. And it was, it was just really nice to see. And I think the route did favour attacking riding and, you know, it, it was nice to see that. The only thing I didn't like was the lack of coverage early on. You know, we were only getting a couple of hours oh. at the end and we're so used to just seeing every single kilometre in the men's. And it's like, I want to see that for the women. It was completely baffling the way they, they showed. I mean, stage one, we knew nothing was going to happen for the first 
probably 40 kilometers, maybe a little bit more. They showed the entire thing. And then stage two, we missed the first 60, 70 kilometers where there actually was constant attacking and a couple of categorized climbs. It was very, very strange indeed. But hopefully next year they'll maybe iron out those issues because the podcast... I got so many listens to my daily podcast. I was actually a bit blown away. I didn't know what the reaction was going to be. I, obviously, I don't know what the download figures are for or the watch figures are for the TV, but people are interested. There is a hunger for watching women's racing and hopefully the broadcasters and the organizers change that next year because it was so frustrating, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Like, And that goes into what we said at the top, like that that's one of the things we want as a solution. We just want more. It's great getting to see bits of races, but if this is your figurehead, like most prestigious race, we want to see it all. Likewise with uh, Paris-Roubaix, we don't get all of that. Like the first year it happened, we missed the winning move because it has already happened by that point. And it's like, we don't want for much. And I know there's logistics and costs and things, but treat it as an investment, like sink that cost in the first time to get that repeat buy and you know if you're showing for longer you've got more advertising space because there's more you know, obviously gcn doesn't have adverts but eurosport on quote unquote terrestrial has adverts so the longer you've got the race on for the better surely so yeah. you know as a as a company like selling broadcast rights you'd be able to charge a bit more it yeah i, I mean I've been banging this drum anyway. Like, they just deserve better, pretty much, is the long and short of it. Yeah, I agree. Well, look, hopefully, we're after coming, you know, as you said, it's a, an evolution rather than a revolution. And yeah, hopefully, as I say, next year, that particular part of it will improve. Peter, before I wrap up, let's talk about your standout moments or a couple of moments that you were just like, whoa, this is... This is insane. This is what it's all about. I've got goosebumps here. If you can think of anything. Yeah, I think it, it goes back to that Norsegore breakaway win. Like, I, I just found that so incredible to watch. Like, she played it wonderfully. And I was like, it's easy to think that sprinters are just the ones who get kind of ferried to the finish. But they are racers at their heart as well. It's just they know how to go faster at the very end. And the whole point of sitting in the bunch and not going in breakaways is because the probabilities are better. So you're going to take the best probability shot that you can. You know, why wouldn't you? But to see her get that win, you know, it, it just really felt great that she got that. And similarly, the was it Bowen find? Yes. When she attacked yeah. and, and held that gap. And I felt so heartbroken for... I can't even remember who now, which is, is it Julie Vandervelde? There we go. And she made that attack and then got, you know, that that magical one minute per 10 kilometers or, you know, I, I go six six seconds per kilometer. Is it an easier way of looking at it? Because you're very rarely at 10 or 20 to go. It's always a little bit of it. But yeah, she was, you know, hanging on and had like 10 seconds with a flam rouge. And you're like, oh, I really just want you to win and then Kapeki just you could see just the heartbreak almost and it's like those moments are what I, I live for the, the dramatic endings um, and some of that's yeah. symptomatic of SD no works so we can almost be thankful for them. Absolutely and the riders that you kind of mentioned there 
um, you know, Emma Norsgaard and I'll also kind of row in with Leanne Lippert from mm. the same team. They're both movie star, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It's these young writers. Now, I didn't follow the young writer classification too closely. Um, but that was a hard one because there was only 20 eligible writers out of 156 starters or 154 starters. So it's like, well, already you're very limited and there's no standout climber. I mean, some of it's hard to tell because you've not got many mountainous races, certainly not to the same extent as um, as to Tourmalet. I think I'd picked Henrietta Christie on a, another um, podcast as my pick because she did really well at the Tour Down Under. Um, and I think like one day she lost about nine minutes. So I was like, well, well, that clearly. But then you're picking one out of 20. It's, it's hard to know who's going to do what. Um, but it's really good to see that that battle between um, is Cedrine Kabul and I can't remember who came second. Yeah, it was it was quite closely fought over certain stages last night. But yeah, Cedrine, yeah. I think she's a French rider. I think she was quite a popular young riders winner uh, on the last day, and the t- she got a massive roar when she was coming down the ramp on the TT that day. Yeah, because I think she's French champion. In time trialing, yeah. so she, she's got a bit of pedigree yes. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, I mean, the whole thing, I could honestly sit here and talk to you for another hour about it. Maybe Definitely. after the world, you can come on and we can have a chat about kind of what happens with the women's teams in the world and the road race and maybe some of the track. You can kind of maybe school a few of us on the, the goings on and the personalities within it. Peter, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.